the reading for today is from Job 1, and then we're jumping over into Luke 22. So if you've grabbed one of the Bibles from the back, that is on, we'll start on page 433. So Job chapter 1, starting from verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then we're just going to flick over to Luke 22, verse 31. So that's on page 906, if you have one of the Black Bibles. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, 
before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Thanks, Lauren. And I didn't say before, but uh, really excited to be here this weekend, really grateful for the invitation, and we are all looking forward as a family to spending the weekend with you as a church family. Uh, how about we pray, and I'll, I'll give you a moment actually to turn back in your Bibles to, to Job as well, uh, because that's where we're going to be spending most of our time, and I'll, I'll pray for us. God in heaven, we trust that your uh, word is true and powerful. And as we open this book this weekend, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would uh, help us to know you more deeply, that you would help us to know the nature of suffering and grow in, in sympathy for others. And that through knowing you, uh, we would be equipped to go out and live as your representatives within this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Job. Job is a unique book. It uh, is a, a book which invites us to confront this problem of suffering and the, the seeming meaningless nature of a lot of suffering that we see and experience in our own lives and in the world around us. Earlier this year, in January, uh, during Cyclone Gabriel, Marie Green, a 59-year-old woman, uh, was sheltering in her home in the Hawke's Bay as the, the floodwaters rose and as reports were coming in of the devastation throughout uh, the Hawke's Bay, where it was probably the worst. And her family was in Wellington, and waited for news uh, for her for four days. Finally, when the news came, uh, her body had been discovered inside the roof cavity of her house. And we ask, why? Just the week before that cyclone, in Turkey and Syria, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake, which killed tens of thousands of people. But among all of the reports and news stories that were coming out from that earthquake, a photo emerged that captured the tragedy. And I wonder if you, you saw it. A father sitting in the rubble in a bright orange jacket holding the lifeless hand of his daughter, uh, which was sticking out from the pancaked layers of concrete and rubble, the building that she had been trapped in. And we ask, why? Why, God? You can add your own experience, perhaps, which leads you to ask that same question. Chronic illness, a tragic accident, why? How will you respond when tragedy strikes? How will you respond to God? Can I trust God when suffering comes across my path that seems meaningless, just pointless? And what does that suffering say about God? 
See, Job is a book about real suffering. As one preacher said, there are, there are armchair questions and wheelchair questions. The armchair questions are asked from a distance. They're the theoretical questions. Uh, but Job is a book for people with wheelchair questions, people who are coming with real suffering and who want answers. Uh, it's an interesting book. It's a very long book. If you've never read Job before, you'll notice when you, you first open it, it, there are a lot of chapters. And that is because Job asks some very deep questions. There are no easy answers to, to this question. And in Job, we find ourselves in less familiar territory. A lot of other books of the Bible. Th- this is different. It's more philosophical. Uh, there are questions about the nature of God and his justice. The, the questions go round and round and on for a long time. And Job takes us to places a, a, most of the rest of the Bible doesn't take us. It's also a book that's filled with poetry, you'll notice. In your Bibles, you'll notice a lot of indents. It's laid out like poetry. And Job is a story from beginning to end, but the form, mostly, most of it, is actually in poetry. And why is that? Well, poetry is about the heart. Job is not a cold, detached book. It is a book filled with passion, with wrestling, with emotion, at highs and lows. And poetry is the fitting genre to communicate the truth that we receive through this book. And so we're going to, in this session, look over these first few chapters where we're introduced to Job and his suffering and then take some time to think, why is Job in the Bible? Why is it here and why should we take the time to hear its message? Hopefully you've got this book open and we'll dive in at verse 1 as we meet the character of Job. Chapter 1, verse 1, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Job is really the hero of the story. He's the one we travel with. The, the story centers around his experience. There's not many clues about where he lived. We don't really know where Uz was. It just says it was somewhere in the east. There's no details about how his story connects with the rest of the Bible timeline. There's no mention of other events in the Bible. It is outside of Israel, but it's it's vague enough that it could be anywhere at any time. And it's probably on purpose, the way Job's story is told, because it describes a human experience. Now, it's not to say Job is just any old average Joe. In fact, the the opposite. He is a remarkable person, and we heard that. He's not just a, a nice guy. He is outstanding. He's described as a man of integrity, blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. But also, he's a man who is richly blessed. He has incredible wealth. I'm interested to hear what sorts of jobs you think Job would have if he was living today. But he owns a lot of property, manages a lot of people. And we're used to thinking that that will corrupt a person, but not for Job. He is a man who worships God, 
He even intercedes for his children in case they've sinned in some way and cursed God in their hearts. A remarkable man. Well, in verse 6, there's a change of scene, and we go from heaven to earth. Uh, Sorry, earth to heaven, other way. Uh, Up into the heavens, behind the scenes, where we see a debate over how good Job really is. The Lord is having a meeting with all the angelic beings, just as you do, and the curtain is pulled back, and in walks uh, a character called the adversary. Uh, That's what the word Satan means, the adversary. He, he is this unusual character who walks and he seems to be almost one of God's employees. Surprises us, this, this being strolls in to give his report. And in conversation with the Satan, the Lord draws attention to Job. Verse 8, have a look. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Well, the Satan's response is that, no, no, Job is not that good. He's had it too easy. He's untested. And he proposes a bet, a wager. Here we go. Destroy all he has, God, and then he will cave. He will will definitely curse you to your face. And in another twist, the Lord agrees to this bet, and we wait to see what will happen. Okay, from heaven, then back to earth, back down to Job. One day, he gets four successive messengers knocking on his door. His farms, his property, his servants, all destroyed, plundered. And then finally, the fourth messenger, the news of a storm. The oldest son's house has collapsed and all of his children gone. It's just an unbelievable tragedy, isn't it? All at once, everything lost. For most of us, it is not like anything that we've experienced. And the question is immediately, how is Job going to respond to this test Well, he still worships the Lord. Verse 20. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground in worship. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return, literally. They're evocative words. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. Well, not to his mother's womb, but to the earth. The, the, the womb of the earth which will swallow me up again. The beautiful and yet tragic words, aren't they? The symmetry. And we've got to pause and reflect just how incredible Job's trust in God is here. He acknowledges God's position as sovereign, ruler of the world. We're told he doesn't sin. There's nothing he says that is... Off, he honors God and God's right to give and take away life. And we think, wow, would I respond like that? I hope I would. But Job is exemplary. At, At this stage in the story, we're incredibly impressed. And yet we're starting to have some questions about what's going on upstairs. 
Job looks great, but we're starting to have some questions about heaven. And so we return to heaven in chapter 2. There's a meeting in heaven again. The exact same sequence happens. The Satan reports on his activities again. And the Lord, again, points out Job, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. But Satan is not satisfied. After all, he says, people are self-centered. All they really care about is themselves. And they'll trade everything for their own skin. This time... God, attack his body and his health, and then see what happens. Again, the Lord agrees, and this time Job is struck with painful sores, and he's left sitting in the dust and ashes, scraping himself with a piece of pottery. His wife comes along, and perhaps another curse is that she wasn't wiped out uh, with the sons, because here... uh, She calls on him to curse God and die, to give up. Here, Job's wife is the voice of the tempter. And yet Job, almost with superhuman faith, his level of devotion to God, verse 10, shall we receive good from God and not evil? Job doesn't sin, he doesn't curse God, he doesn't grumble. Incredible. Now, what's the point of these introductory chapters? What is the Lord saying to us through these chapters? Job 1 and 2 are really an invitation. They're an invitation into the story, and they're an invitation to ask some hard questions. You might notice that we're hardly through a tiny portion of the book. There are 40 more chapters to go. This is not the end of the story. A lot of people think that this is Job. This is Job, Job is just chapters 1 and 2, but no. Job has, hasn't moved on. He's left sitting in the dust, and we see him sitting there for seven days. There's this brooding silence as his friends gather around him, and they see his suffering. And then... He explodes. He's like a ticking time bomb here in the silence because in chapter 3, he explodes with complaint, and we'll see this tomorrow. And even for us, our question of why God has not been answered, has it? In fact, what we have been told of God simply raises more questions than answers. Because what have we learned so far? Well, firstly, it's that God is responsible. Ultimately, God is responsible for what has happened here. He is the Lord. The covenant name of God, the God of Israel, is is used in these chapters. The Lord, who rules over all things. And whatever happens in God's universe has to go through him. We saw that in the story. Even the Satan's plans needed God's approval. As Martin Luther, the reformer, described the devil, that even the devil is... God's devil. 
In fact, in chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord says, it was he who was incited to destroy Job. And so it's not wrong for us to say, as Job does, the Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Now, does that make everything better? Well, no. It raises a massive question, doesn't it? And in fact, this faith in in a God who rules over all things, it can lead to a terrible struggle, and it will for Job. That's why the book's so long. It's Francis Anderson, one commentator says, this kind of faith doesn't relieve the agony, it causes it. Or these words from Ellie Weissel, a Holocaust survivor. The tragedy of the believer is a deeper is deeper than the tragedy of the non-believer. The tragedy of the believer is deeper. Why? Because to love God, to be devoted to God, to see everything in your life as in some way coming from God's hand, the doctrine of providence, it's called. If you see things that way, if you see God's hand in everything, this question arises, this terrible question. Who is this God? Who has sent such evil and tragedy my way? See, it's much easier to have a small God, isn't it? It's it's easier to have a God who is like the God of the, the pagans, a God who doesn't rule over all, maybe just you know rules over a part of creation, the weather god or the forest god. Because if you have a God like that, you don't have to wrestle with this question. Those kinds of gods have enough issues of their own to worry about ruling the entire universe. But this God... See, if you don't have that kind of a God, you can focus on the immediate causes, the, the drunk driver, the, the faulty equipment, the fateful decision... And you can think about those things and you can curse those things and rage against them. But if you're prepared to say that even the most horrific things in our lives, the Lord has taken away, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, well, it's not an easy thing to say, is it? Can you say that? Of the most deep suffering in your life? See, as, as readers of the book of Job, we, we do have more information, don't we? we? We sort of have a backstage pass to what's going on in his life as we see the view from heaven. And yet, even for the reader, even for us, we still don't know why. Did you notice that? That question is still unanswered. Yes, the Lord wins the wager, But Job is left in the dust. How is that a win? The Lord himself says it's been for no reason that he's destroyed Job. Why did God agree to the test? Was it necessary to prove Satan wrong? What is God's purpose in all of this? We know know Satan's purpose. But we, at this stage, don't know God's purpose. 
It's tempting to fill in the details and say, this is why. But we're not told in Job 1 and 2. (laughs) And why is that? Because these chapters are an invitation to the rest of the book. They're an invitation to ask the question. See, the book of Job is God inviting us to ask this question. It is God inviting us to not be afraid of asking the deepest, most troubling questions we have. It's, it's almost as the way God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And in the process of raising Job to Satan's awareness, it, it leads to the unfolding of these events in, in chapter 1 and 2. It's almost as if the whole book of Job itself is God saying to us, have you considered the problem of suffering? See, God is inviting us to wrestle, to ask, to agonize over this question. The God we love and worship, what is his relationship with the things that we see within our world and within our own experience? See, it's in the Bible, isn't it? We we might even wonder, how did it, Get in there. <laughs> uh, but it's there. God is not hiding. He, he wants us to meet him face to face. He wants to be found. He wants us to see him. And that's where the book of Job is heading. A face to face encounter with this God. To, to confront the, these nagging questions that we, we have. I wonder, have you been afraid of asking these questions? has an invitation to cry out with Job, to listen and to learn and to gain wisdom. It sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? It, it? It's just a little bit scary to ask those questions. What gives us confidence to approach this God with these unanswered questions? Well, to finish off, Jesus knew the story of Job. It was in his Bible too. And in Luke 22, he refers to this story. See, Jesus knew how hard it would be for his friends to hold on to their faith through the questions and the experiences of life. And that's why he says these words to his friends as they walk toward the darkness of the cross. He says this, Luke 22:31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. That's a reference to Job, isn't it? Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus reflects on the story of Job and Satan's purpose to destroy and undermine the faith of God's people. But Jesus promises I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What a promise. And as we'll we'll see from this book, in Christ, we have one who will hold us close to himself through these questions. We have one in the Lord Jesus who has suffered like Job 
and who has come through, the one who is innocent and who died and who's been raised and from that place can speak to us of the trustworthiness of God, of the goodness of God and how asking these questions and pressing on to see God face to face, it'll pay off. And so, brothers and sisters of City on a Hill, it is safe to ask these questions here this weekend, to face the future, to face God himself, because, Jesus says, your faith will be stronger as a result. You will know God more deeply. And you'll be able to say those words with more authenticity and conviction. The Lord be praised. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name. How do we say that? Well, we have to read the rest of the book. Let's uh, pray as we finish this session. Father, we thank you for this book. And these are troubling questions. Father, many of us have been afraid to dig into this topic, perhaps. Others of us have experienced deep suffering and perhaps know more than others. We pray that you would teach us this weekend that we would learn from each other and ultimately we would learn from you and from the Lord Jesus who you sent from heaven. And help us to hear and trust his reassurance that we are safe in your hands. Please speak your living words to us, we, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.